When I say overchurched and underreached, what I mean is that there are people who live inside of that Christian subculture that I'm going to say the blessing before the meal, I'm going to take my hat off and uh, pray at ball games on Friday night, but they're underreached because they've never actually had a salvation experience. The question isn't, are we being changed? The question is, how are we being changed? We're back together for week three, our third week doing this. And uh, you know, an NBA jam three in a row means you're on fire. Is that what they say? You've is never it, played NBA is that jam? like mid 90s. Oh my content? gosh, that is such mid 90s comment. And I'm going to need some backup on this. All of you older millennials, late Gen Xers, if you were playing this arcade game, basketball game, NBA jam, and you made three in a row, your character would catch fire and then you couldn't miss. You were just like slam dunking it all over the place. We are less than a minute in and talking <laughs> about NBA Jam. But three in a row means you're on fire. Like, NBA Jam. Like Slugfest. Yeah, except it fire. was it was the game that was actually good that made all the terrible games get made after. Are you telling me Slugfest was not good? I'm telling you you need to play NBA Jam. Let's move on. So we're doing this today right after church because you got vacation, family vacation, family time coming up right this yeah, next week. Yeah, we're going week. over to Mexico Beach to be with my dad for Thanksgiving uh, tomorrow. So I will not be here tomorrow. That's, that's good. It's good. But we're doing this on a Sunday. And a lot of times when you grab one of us on a Sunday, one of us being any location pastor, or really, honestly, anybody in ministry, and you'd pull them aside and you say, hey, I got X, yada, 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 yada. We're like, hey, that's cool. Can you shoot me a text? Because my brain is fried at this point. And so I did that three times already. Today. Yeah. Here's, this is, that's, all, that's the warning. Here's the, the formal warning. Uh, this could be a complete train wreck since we're doing <laughs> this right after services on a Sunday. You know, in full fairness, though, AJ, I think that anytime we get behind a microphone with you and I in a room with a shut door, I mean, it could be a train wreck any given Sunday. I just think the probability is a little higher today. Completely fair. Completely fair. So we're going to dive in. We're going to give this a shot. And we really have one more episode after this one um, coming up next week. And then we're going to take a little breather until we get to the other side of the new year, kind of polish some of this stuff, see what's going on and, uh, you know, fine tune. It's been cool to hear some of y'all's feedback uh, with that, by the way, but just kind of see what the new year brings on the other side of that with this podcast and some of these conversations. I know uh, it sounds like it's been super helpful so far, so that's good. Um, But let's kind of dive in because I think being in week three, right, we've all got a pretty good idea at this point of of where we're going with the conversation, right? We want to be formed, we want to keep Jesus in the center uh, of our hearts and lives. That's kind of the big idea. And And I don't want to say, I think that I have been really encouraged because I was not, this is going to sound bad, but I guess this is why you're listening to the podcast. Um, I was not super excited about this being our vision series. I was very sure that this needed to be our vision series, but usually, you know, you want vision series to be like really engaging and inciting. Um, and I'm not sure that that was what this was, but man, I have got just a ton of feedback from people who have been at the orchard for a while who know who we are and to a person, man, this is really what we needed as a church right now. And so that was really encouraging. You always want to, you know, uh, get the affirmation from people that you trust, uh, yeah. who know the church, who uh, have a close walk with Jesus. And so, you know, it may not have been the most exciting vision series we've ever done, but I do think that it is what God has to say to our church in this moment. Yeah. Shameless plug for walking in obedience, regardless of what we think sometimes. That's good. Um, but this whole idea of being, you know, moving Jesus to the center of our hearts and lives. And we talked about uh, being formed in our life and being formed in our faith. And then this week, probably, I don't know, I would say, I would venture to say the most difficult of the three for us personally, just, so? just by and large, I think for people. Yeah. 
um, because we're not just being formed inwardly, right? This is that moment where we're being formed inwardly and it should have some outward repercussions. Yeah, that's 100% right, which is why, you know, we mentioned last week in the podcast, these three messages have really been building on each other, even though it may not seem like it, right? Like we have to have our beliefs formed by scripture, not just by I think or what my opinion is, but have those beliefs, that faith formed, which then leads to a formation of our life because now we're going to let scripture say what our life should look like. Not just this is what a good old country boy does, or this is what a scholarly lady does. No, this is, this is what the scripture says that we should look like mainly in our attitudes and in our affections. Uh, And then I think this was what was so key as we look and love and live more like Jesus, we're going to become more effective in our mission yeah. because the world is sick of Christians who go to church on Sunday and post Bible verses, or when I say post Bible verses, repost memes that are often sketchy in theology, yeah. but uh, they don't look like Jesus. And I think that we're kidding ourselves if we think you know lost people don't see that disconnect. Yeah, and I think even, so So I guess maybe I didn't say this, I can't remember, but this week is being formed in mission, right? And so I think you even alluded to that some in your conversation Sunday, but for me, one of the reasons this one becomes so difficult is because there's a, there's a much more clear measuring stick in my mind, right? Like I can look at somebody and I can say, I don't know if they're being formed in their faith. You know, usually it's going to have some evidences, but I know... I can, I can look at somebody and I can look at the evidence of their life and I can say, yeah, they're being formed in mission or not because it's easy to tell if somebody's on mission, right? So um, let me ask you a question. You've been doing a great job asking questions. Yeah, right. What do you look for in somebody's life who you would say, yeah, I can tell they're being formed on mission? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, man, I, I think of several people, right? Um, not to out them on here, but I think it's people who are eager to befriend anybody for the sake of the gospel, right? Uh, for the sake of having that conversation, you know, not using churchy words like gospel, but for the sake of letting them know, hey, at the end of this, I want you to know there's a God that loved you and died for you. And so I think um, some of that's personality driven, but a lot of that, you know, you get over those personal humps, I think, by what God has been doing when he's forming in your your life, you know, and he's forming in your faith. And so I, I think it's just easy to see because those are the people that are quick to go out of their way. Those are the people that are quick to love people. Those are the people that are quick to bookend all of that with the hope of the gospel at some point, maybe not right away, but at some point, you know, this person is confident in what they're about to share because they've spent time um, being formed in their faith and they've spent time exercising it, being formed in their life. And and so I think it's a, a confidence and a boldness, I guess, is what I would say with how they live their life. Is Yeah, I think that's, man, I think that's really good. I think that is a well thought out answer. And uh, man, I enjoy it. You guys who don't spend a lot of time with AJ, you think he's just all fun. Hey, I'm here for the party. And he is, but he also <laughs> thinks well. He, he, he's a good, deep thinker. So let me let me contrast your deep thought with something extremely shallow. Okay. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I look for people who don't have many empty seats next to them on Sunday morning. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Know, who are the people that don't have a lot of empty seats next to them? Uh, because they're the ones, hey, man, you need to come to church with me. I'd love to have you. You know, they're the ones always bringing people. Um, I know that's that's shallow. That is very surface level, but it's something. It is, yeah. No, it's a great measuring stick, I think, for some of that. And immediately it brings several people to my mind that I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's that's good. They are living on mission, whether they think it or not even. Um, and so like we said over and over again, it's, it becomes one of those byproducts of your life because Jesus is in the center and everything starts to function around him. Um, but I think this is where it gets tricky, right? Because you have you have this life on mission, and you mentioned this going back to your sermon today. Uh, you have, in our part of the world, this demographic who is over-churched but under-reached. 
And so when we talk about this whole series, really, but specifically this one on this conversation on mission, what does that look like? Like, how do I know if I am in that demographic you're talking? How do I know if I'm overchurched and underreached? How do I know if my friends are overchurched or underreached? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, let's kind of um, look at it just from maybe just an outside perspective for a minute. When I say overchurched, I don't mean that you can be too much church. Right. That's not what we mean. What we mean is that, uh, and we've talked about this on the podcast, that Every church has a culture, right? And Christian circles are a very definite subculture. We are a subculture that uses our own language and we have our own habits. Uh, and a lot of those are based on scripture and a lot of those are based on tradition. But the point is it's a definite culture. When I say overchurched and underreached, what I mean is that there are people who live inside of that Christian subculture mm-hmm. that I'm going to say the blessing before the meal, I'm going to take my hat off and uh, pray at ball games on Friday night. But they're underreached because they've never actually had a salvation experience. You know, maybe they prayed a prayer when they were growing up. Um, Maybe they were even baptized when they were growing up. But if you look at their life, there's really not much evidence that they've ever known Jesus. I think when you look at what is some evidence from my life that I've known Jesus. We talked last week about how we are changed from the inside out in not just our actions, but our attitudes and our affections. Um, But I think if you look at John's writing in 1 John, there is one clear, above all else, evidence that you have had a salvation experience. And that is that you have a genuine love for God. That love for God, I think, is the highest evidence that we really have been saved. We love Him because He first loved us. All others will know that you're my disciples. You know that you love one another. And where does that love come from? We talked about it this week, because you love me. And I would contrast that with people who are just over church but underreached. They don't have a genuine love for God, but they do have a respect for the good Lord, sure, that's for the good. Big yeah, man it's a good distinguishing. In fact, I think of you know a little bit personal here, but I think of my grandfather. Right as you're saying some of that stuff, the guy who would lead every Thanksgiving meals prayer, would lead every Christmas meals prayer, and the guy who, at the end of his life, battling uh, cancer, said, "Hey." I want to have a conversation and then ends up realizing what it is to believe the gospel. And yeah. so here's this guy who's been over church, knows all the things to say, um, and a great guy, like one of the best men I know or knew. And yet at the end of it, he said, I never knew that. I never understood the gospel. I never, I never grasped that. And so you see the, I guess he's the perfect example in my mind of somebody who was maybe a little over churched, but underreached and yeah. ended up getting to understand that before he passed away. And, and, you know, that is the goodness of God that we can be over church and underreached our whole lives. Mm. And yet, if we will turn in repentance and faith to Jesus five minutes before yeah. we pass away, we can be saved and washed away and made new. Um, I think, you know, as I look at this, that idea of respect versus love it is just a big difference for me that is oftentimes hard to see. Uh, And so when I have the conversation with people who would say, well, Chip, how do I know that I'm really saved? I was 
you know, this is my testimony. I was baptized at 10 years old. I, you know, was saved as a kid. So how do I know that I'm saved as an adult? Because I think for those of us who grew up in this culture, who were baptized as a kid, I tell people, I wasn't like robbing 7-Elevens and getting girls pregnant before I got saved, right? So it's not like this radical transformation in my 10-year-old life. Yeah, that's uh, good. At 10, I'm, I'm just I'm saying. Glad. I'm that's just saying. Um, so then the question becomes, well, then how do I know this is real? How do I know it's not just, hey, this is what I grew up with? How do I know that this is, is genuine? And so what I would tell people is that what you need to look at when you're looking at yourself is not a point in the past, but a present posture. And here's what I mean by that. It's not, did you pray a prayer? Did you ask Jesus into your heart? Which another podcast is not in the Bible. You know, did you uh, respond in faith to the gospel? It's not what did you do? It's what are you doing now? Do you, before God, have an ongoing and present posture of repentance and faith? Yeah. Like right now. In this moment, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Are you going to get to heaven and say, well, I went to church, I read my Bible, I prayed, we said the blessing, I tithed? Or are you going to say, I don't deserve it, but I believe Jesus paid the price for me. I believe that he who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. So it's on his behalf, it's for his sake that I get into heaven. Yeah. I think that that where are you at right now? What are you trusting right now is the question you got to ask. It's good. I like that. And, you know, it kind of ties together even the next direction we want to go with this conversation because you have... You have that, right? You have, okay, what's my current posture? What does that look like? Do I have a deep affection for God, right? Do I want, do I love the things he loves? Do I hate the things he hates? All those different things. And, and, and I guess we're saying too, maybe like you said last week, those things don't happen day one, right? Like you, you learn the posture, right? As you grow closer to God's heart, some of those things adjust. And, and I think it's so funny. I, I am this way and I know I'm sure it's true of you and I have many friends that are this way. There's hills that you died on, you know, 10 years ago that you're not going to die on. Yeah, today. absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's part of what we mean by being formed in our faith, right? Is this is an ongoing process. This is not a checklist. And that's why I love introducing the term spiritual formation to the orchard, because I think the term discipleship has a, yeah, I did that idea behind it. And the truth is that we are all in the process of spiritual formation as long as we're wearing skin, right? And so I think you're right. You're not going to nail this. You're not going to check the box and move on. It is that ongoing process, which is why I think that present posture is so important. You said current posture. Um, The more you preach, it'll be present posture because that's alliteration and God loves alliteration. (laughs) That's good. Uh, (laughs) but, But it is that idea that it's where I'm at right now, you know, and and that's why it is the object of faith, not the amount of faith that matters when it yeah. comes to this. It's because good. your amount of faith, just honestly, transparently, your amount of faith is going to ebb and flow. Yeah, some days I'm way more confident in some of the things that I'm not sure about. Some days I'm like, well, maybe. But at the end of the day, it is not how much you have in Jesus. It is making sure your faith is in Jesus, because there's a lot of people who have a lot of faith, but it's in their own faith. It's in how much they have faith in Jesus. And faith in faith does not save. Only faith in Jesus saves. It's good. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that is kind of the segue to this next section, like we talked about. But you said it's so important to have your person, your your faith in the, in the object, the person of Jesus. And 
you know, you kind of had some shock factor this week with one of your statements. Yeah, you and think so? I do, mostly because when I heard it Thursday, I said, <laughs> I can't wait to hear the next line, right? Uh, Thursdays when we do our online recording. But um, it was good because I don't, you know, and I don't think it was revolutionary. I think it was clear. And um, I think that's why it grabs some shock value. Um, but you, you said that our primary motivator is not that we see people uh, avoid hell, right? Or go to heaven. Our primary motivator is understanding that Jesus wants to see lost people come to Jesus, right? And so it's, it, it makes it a little bit less about us and more about pursuing his heart. And so maybe talk about that a little bit, because I think for anybody who did hear it and turned off, like, ah, you yeah. know, kind of checked out, maybe unpack uh, a little bit of that. Well, I mean, I think that this is a really important concept that we have to get. This is something, I think, that goes to the heart of who we want to be at the orchard. Uh, what I said is that our primary motivation for mission cannot be that we want to see lost people saved. And that's the shock factor. And right. it was intended to be a shock factor. Yeah. You right? left a good three seconds that felt like 30. It was yeah, good. That's, that's what I'm here for. You <laughs> right. know, um, but but the idea is, is that that really can't be the primary motivator. It doesn't mean that we don't want to see lost people get saved, that we don't want to see lost people come to faith in Jesus. I hope that if you know me and you're listening to this podcast, you say, I don't know, man, I think Chip is more passionate about seeing lost people find life in Christ than many people that I know, because it is true. However, if our desire to see people saved is our primary, just foundational, at the bottom of our motivation for mission, it's going to fail at some point because people are hard to love, because we don't love everybody equally, yeah. because there are people, look, if we are just being honest, then I've had some honest conversations with people, and we're not going to out them, and I'm one of the people that I'm not going to out, right? Sure. But there are some people who we just think, no, they deserve to go to hell. Yeah. They deserve to go to hell. And so my love for that person is not going to send me on mission to them. Yeah. But when we realize, and we talked to John 3.16 this week, right, that it is God who loved the world, that He is the one who initiated mission. He is the one who acted out of love. It is our love for God that moves us on mission because we are following Him in His mission, right? Uh, think, think about this, AJ. This is an interesting thought. We always talk about like the church has a mission. Mm -hmm. The church has a mission. Our mission as a church. When you look at the scriptures, God had a mission before he had a church. The mission yeah, starts good. all the way back in Genesis, right. right? Where we read in Genesis chapter 3 that there's this curse and God's going to break it. And he's going to send the seed of woman to crush the head of the serpent, right? And so from that point on, God has a mission. You look at Abraham and he's saying, man, I'm going to bless every nation on earth through you. And we know that's a reference to Jesus. Mm -hmm. We look all throughout the Old Testament and the, the idea of sacrifice and blood atonement pointing us to Jesus. And so God has had a mission well before he had a church. Yeah. So it's not the church has a mission. God's mission has a church. Yeah. That's we, why we're here. Are we willing to come alongside him? That's right. I guess is the better question. And it's, it's your love for him that's going to answer that question. Right. Yeah. So, okay, but you mentioned this, and I think this is a real tension point, especially as we talk about living on mission, because here's the reality. Uh, and you used an illustration that made, I think, this clear, um, but you talked about Hamas. And I think one of the biggest tension points, right, is you keep telling me to love people, but you just said some people are harder to love than others. Where's the line? Do I have to stop? What does that look like? Why, why is it so difficult 
to love the people that Jesus loved, right? Because when we think about the people we have a disdain for, or we would rather disassociate with, those are generally the people who have the posture of the people that Jesus said, I'm going to go make sure everybody around me knows the gospels for them. So why is that so difficult for us? Why do you think? Well, I think it's difficult for a couple of reasons. One is because some people are just jerks and aggravating and nobody likes them. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, like there, there are those people. And honestly, because of them, their attitudes, their actions, they're hard to love. However, I think maybe a more foundational issue that goes more to the heart of it is that somewhere in our subconscious, us good church-going people like to think that we at least deserved it a little bit. Sure. Right? Yeah. So we deserved a little bit. Like, God so loved the world, but mainly because I'm a good person. Right. You know? Yeah. And so when we see these people who are truly as far from God as we can imagine and realize that the love He has for them is the same love He has for us, we don't feel quite as special. Yeah. We don't feel quite as good about ourselves. Yeah. And so I think that that's maybe one of those subliminal maybe blockers that we put in our head. That's good. And there are theological sects out there that say, hey, Jesus is fixing what you couldn't, right? He's, he's making up for everything you didn't atone for yourself. And so that makes it tricky too. And it's hard. It's hard to get to that place. And this is why I love the story of Barabbas, because when you look at a person like Barabbas, right, and you look at a guy who was so clearly in opposition to all of the things that God would want for his people. That is the person that gets set free while Jesus gets grabbed, right? And it's like, man, this is like Jesus has to treat, Jesus had to get treated like Barabbas so that Barabbas could get treated like Jesus. And I think we miss that because we think there's, I'm not close to Barabbas. Barabbas Absolutely. is way on the other end of the scale. I'm more close to Mary, right? I'm a lot more close to the to the mom of Jesus than I am right. Barabbas. And so I think that's really good. That's a good yeah, thought. I, so th there's a story that in scripture that immediately comes to mind, I think that helps answer this question. When you look at the spectrum of Hamas and Aunt Susie, yeah, <laughs> right? Sure. Like, like there's a spectrum there, right? Um, so this is in Luke chapter uh, 5. Uh, I believe it's Luke chapter 5, yeah. And um, it's when Jesus calls Levi to be a disciple. So in verse 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. So number one, tax collectors in this day and time, terrible people. When you think tax collector in the New Testament, think mafia boss uh, in, in you know what we think of, right? Yeah. Uh, and he looks at Levi and he says, Follow me. And so leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. And then Levi, this is Matthew, also known as Levi, hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others, and we can imagine who the right, others yeah. may have if been. If they're hanging out with the tax right, collectors, yeah. Uh, who were, imagine who would be at a mafia boss's party at his house. Right. Um, definitely some politicians. And uh, <laughs> oh, others who were reclining at the table with him. But the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Right? Why these people? Yeah. Why these people? And Jesus' answer tells us what we need to know. Jesus replied to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to mm. repentance. Right. And so immediately you can have a reaction where you say, well, what does that mean? Like Jesus only came for the scum of the earth. Like he didn't come for these people who've been working hard and good people yeah. and up uh, upstanding moral citizens with strong worth ethic who love their mamas and don't kneel for the national anthem. Right. Like it, yeah. Jesus didn't come for those people. Yeah, he did. 
because when we really understand what Jesus is saying, he says, not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He didn't come for the righteous, but the sinners. Here's the question. How many of us are healthy? Yeah. How many of us are righteous? None. How would you categorize yourself? None. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about how you see yourself. Yeah. And so when we understand that we are sinners, that we are sick, Jesus is for us. Yeah. And the reason that a lot of Jesus's attention in the New Testament are two guys like Barabbas or two guys like Levi, or that's his name, Matthew, right? It's because you don't have to work so hard to convince certain people that they're sick. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, and when you zoom out, it makes it so clear as to why Americans struggle with the gospel, because we live in a culture that says the opposite of you need help. We live in a culture that says, no, you are your help. Go do it. Go make it. You're the man, right? And so... Yeah, I saw uh, I saw a, a a men's Bible study had Dunkin' Donuts uh, brought into the Bible study, and the box said "You deserve a donut," and somebody in the class had scratched it out and said "You deserve God's wrath." <laughs> you know, so yeah. It's just understanding yeah. who we are and what we deserve, and that's what makes grace grace. Yeah, and that's where I love the passage we used this week because, and I and we talked about this a little bit on the back end of service, and we talked about it Tuesday in our meeting, right, with Kevin, and we just kind of talked about this idea that maybe this verse isn't as common as we think it is. So I think it's common. I think it is at a level of public awareness that John 3.16 is familiar, but what it means isn't. However, I would say most people in our part of the world know what John 3.16 says. A lot of them just aren't really sure what John 3.16 means, Yeah, which is why we talked about it. Well, I guess I would even say, yeah, I, I think that's true for sure. But when you look at, what was it, Tim Tebow? who put it on his eye black, right? And then had just millions of Google searches. And then you have a guy and you have people down here that are just like, yeah, I see it all the time. I don't know what that means, right? So I think it's, I think it could be a both and honestly, but I want to do this because I love that passage. I think it makes it super clear, right? Super easy. It's that elementary Christianity we talked about. Um, I want to nerd out on it a little bit. I want to get into the weeds with John three sixteen Let's because you did a great job of unpacking it. Uh, you did a great job of kind of distinguishing between a couple of words, right? The so, and then the, in this way, and the translations we use. But well, so those aren't a couple of words. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so that's I was going to say, so, so unpack, that's what I was going to say. So help the, the the common person out there that's like, I don't understand, right? Why yeah. are there 15 million translations? Or why are you saying that one's right and this one's wrong? So well, how do we get here? What does that okay. mean? Help so us. There, there's uh, a bunch of different translations. Uh, number one, because people pay money for new copies of the Bible. Uh, I mean, and, uh, and honestly, that, sure. one of the motivations for new translations is new stuff to publish. Um, however, I would say that to think that's the primary motivation is very cynical and does not respect the heart of a lot of these people who put blood, sweat, and tears into trying to have a more accurate translation of Scripture because language evolves. Right, the words that mean something today didn't necessarily mean those same thing, you know, a uh, hundred years ago. Much less when the scripture was written, and maybe a shocker to a lot of people, but the scriptures weren't written in English. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And so sometimes um, the way that words are used in one translation, uh, by the time that translation is dated that word's meaning had shifted a little bit, and there's a clearer way to translate it. And so I think that's the case here in John 3.16, because all of us who grew up in church, we memorize, for God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world. And the idea, I think, in our modern consciousness, when we say God so loved the world, is that's an amount of God's love. God loved the world so much, you know? It's kind of like when a little kid comes in, I love you so 
much. You yeah. know, it's an amount. Dax will say, so, 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 and we'll just get on like five minutes. I'm like, man, I got I to gotta let him finish. I can't rob him of this. Right? Yeah, don't, don't rob that boy of his joy. <laughs> yeah. um, but right, but for him, for Dax, so means amount. And yet, that's actually not work. Uh, what the Greek word that John actually wrote uh, means. That word really is not about an amount. The Greek word there um, is uh, is hotas, and it is, if you look at the Greek uh, syntax, which is the sentence structure, um, Greek is structured differently than English, right? So when we read, for God so loved the world, or in the CSB, which we read today, God loved the world in this way, that's all at the end or middle of the verse. This is actually the very first word in John 3.16. It is this word, hotas. And what hotas means is thusly, right? Maybe that's the most succinct definition, thusly. Thusly, God loved the world and gave His only begotten Son. The good modern English translation is God loved the world in this way. It was not an amount of how God loved the world. It was the specific way in which God right. loved the world. And so I think that when that that word uh, in the Greek is at the beginning of this verse, it shows us the significance. Uh, John wasn't saying, God loved you so much more than anybody could ever imagine. We can get into that. I don't think that's not right. true. That's just not the point. Right. What God is saying is that God loved you, and He didn't just send you a letter and tell you, oh, you're my sweetheart, you're my baby. No, He says, I loved you. Let me show you how I loved you. I right. loved you this way. It's kind of like, uh, for me, AJ, uh, a sign that Leanne used to have in the kitchen uh, of our house, the first house we lived in here say, in Lake City. Did it say gather? No, okay. it did not. It did not. Um, no, this is what her sign said. She goes, I, the sign goes, I can remember it to this day. I love hugs and I love kisses. What I love most is help with the dishes. Mm. Right? And mm. it's not, don't let me tell you, oh, Leanne, I love you so much. Now, let me show you I love you. I'm going to help you with the dishes. Yeah. You know? And so it's a very concrete love. And that word translated properly helps us see that. Yeah. Did you get the whiteout out and just start covering up the last part of her little sign in the kitchen? It's not in the new house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh man, that's good. So what are some, so, okay, so we, we do this, right? And this is how, and we're nerding out. And, and this is how a lot of publishers do this. They get a team. They say, here are our scholars. We have people, like you said, are putting blood, sweat, and tears into what the Greek says and how we, how we arrive, where we arrive. And so there's a lot of people who are very intelligent, working very hard to try to figure out and give us some of these translations. But I think uh, for me, one of the things that was most helpful in college when I'm, when I'm taking hermeneutics and all that kind of stuff is understanding that well, Scripture is not going to contradict itself, right? And in many ways and in many places, not only is it not going to contradict itself, but it's going to affirm other areas that it's speaking yeah, into. absolutely. The best way to read the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and so what are some others, because this is actually one of the questions we had come in, which is, what are some other Scriptures that affirm what John 3.16 is saying? Do you have any other passages? Just Like specifically about um, God uh, being the initiator of mission yeah. or the specificity? Uh, I would of... say both and. The initiator of mission and the specificity. The specif- Give me that one more time. Specificity. Specificity of <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, so um, number one, before I forget, because I saw it this morning, if you are listening to this podcast, you have to know how much I love Charles Spurgeon, or else you're not listening to this podcast, right? Um, Spurgeon has a quote where he says, when I find two pieces of scripture I cannot square, I believe both. It's good. Right? So he's saying, look, I'm trying to figure this out, and when I can't, I'm trusting it's not a contradiction. I just don't understand how it fits, yep. right? So I thought it was good, but specifically for this. Um 
So I, I mentioned a couple uh, in the um, in the message this week, and, and I, I'm sorry, I don't have the the references right off my head. So you guys on listening can fact check me. Uh, number one, I think when we look at God as the initiator of mission, um, I think n- number one, there are several scriptures that talk about uh, God saying, "I will, I will." I will. And we see these over and over uh, again. God saying, I will do this. I will do that. When God says, I will do something, it's not if you do that. It's no, this is what I'm doing no matter what. Uh, More specifically, maybe two of the more common verses that we could use to show that God initiates uh, the work of salvation. Number one, uh, we read that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? So there's something, if repentance leads to faith, what leads to repentance? Well, it's mm-hmm. God's kindness to us. It's God um, moving toward us in mission. Uh, maybe the most common uh, is John says this in First John. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Yeah. We don't love him because uh, innately that's what we do. No, we love him because he has first set his love on earth, on us. And, and I think maybe a logical way to understand that John 3.16, God the initiator of mission, uh, is true, is this. The gospel is not able to be intuited. And here's what I mean. Nobody born in isolation, living on a desert island by themselves, never having any outside contact, none of them will be able to intuit naturally the message of the gospel. They may come to believe there's a God, that He's good, that He's powerful. Romans tells us that nature declares His glory and power and handiwork. However, they won't know that He had a son. They won't know that God sent that son to the world as a sacrifice for our sin. They won't know those things. And so if you want proof that God's the initiator of mission, how about the fact that God chose to reveal the means of salvation to us? God chose to reveal the gospel message to us, not just indeed, but in the preserved word that we have today. Yeah, the preservation is fascinating. And then with with the specificity of Jesus, I think there's a couple things that jump out at me. Uh, The first one is a passage in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.20 through the end, right? It's just, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. God initiates that. It's Jesus specifically who he's talking about that grants you uh, the righteousness, the very righteousness of God, so that one day when you get to heaven, God looks at you and sees his own righteousness, and that is sufficient. Um, And then the other evidence of this is pretty much every single letter that Paul writes he starts off with some version of grace and peace to you, which is yeah, like his right. little comfort on the front end, and then says some version of a gospel reminder and, and, and takes them there first. And, I, and that's what I love about some of Paul's writings is he's he says, hey, remember the gospel first because it's the foundation for everything. And that's why we've been beating this drum in this series of being formed because it, it has to be Jesus at the center. Paul understood that. And that's why in every single letter he says, hey, it's Jesus at the center, and then if we can get that, we'll get the rest of this. Or it's Jesus at the center, and when you put Jesus at the center, you should understand that it requires this of you. Right? Yeah, I think that's that's a big deal. And I think even beyond that, man, it's important for us to understand that love in John's eyes, in Paul's eyes, in God's eyes, 
love is not an abstract concept. No. Right? When we talk about love today in the <laughs> yeah. English language, right. what does that even mean? Yeah. Right? You, you've heard me. This is one of my favorite riffs, right? You love your husband. You love his grandpa. You love your dog. You love coffee and pumpkin spice. You should not feel the same way about all of those things yeah. in your life. Your right? wife and pumpkin spice probably be the only two things that are equal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not, right? Uh, number one, I noticed that you said your wife and pumpkin spice. Is this you telling us that you love pumpkin spice? I do. I do love pumpkin spice. Wow, I am a basic white girl. In many ways, that is not surprising. Listen, if you were, this is a sidebar, if you were one of my roommates in college, then you knew, and I have an addictive personality anyway. But I am shocked I, to hear this. I went on a pumpkin pie blizzard oh tear, like gosh. chip an unhealthy level where there were have sometimes. You seen, have you done the pumpkin pie cheesecake blizzards? No. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh. It's a thing. Sometimes three a day. Anyway, carry on. Oh my. There's a problem. Let's, let's just keep going. How can we say three let's day carry on? Yeah, let's just keep going. Let's all right, go. All right. <laughs> let's, let's try this. So here's why this is important. Because it is not up to you to define what is loving. Yeah. Right? Paul says several places, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? And one of the questions we ask is, what does it mean to love someone? How can I love someone? Uh, one pastor says, what does love require of me here? If love is the fulfillment of the law, what does love require? And here's the thing that we can't miss, that we miss all the time in our culture. You don't get to decide what is loving. Mm-hmm. It's not up to you to say, oh, well, I'm just going to love them in this way. No, the way that we love is clearly defined specifically. We love through self-sacrifice and the sharing of the gospel. Why? Because when God so loved the world, mm-hmm. he didn't just say, well, I love the world any whole way. No, I love the world in this, this way. way. Yeah. And that love uh, is uh, a very specific, concrete love, and we just can't miss that. Here and and here's why we need an objective standard, because we are the same people who who like you said earlier think we get a little bit of benefit of the doubt, or we at least deserve a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And so that's the same person. The same person that wants to define love is the same person that doesn't think he needs all of it. And so I don't know. We, we just got to be careful as people, right? Because we sure. skew and we and we tip the scales in our favor more often than we'd like to. And more often than we realize. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt more than anybody else. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm looking, I think we're starting to run out of time. And one of my favorite things that we've got to do in this, though, is maybe take some time yeah. and dive into some questions that That's we've good. Gotten. Yeah, yeah. So we had several this week um, and it was short notice, right? So I had just kind of uh, specifically thrown a couple of lines out to some people, but please, we, we love when you guys send these in. And so as we get back into the Monday routine, please send these in Sunday afternoon. Um, but a couple that we got were really in relation to mission in particular. And then that line, that line between I can like them, but I don't yeah. want to love them. Right. And, and that kind of, so, so where is the line for you? And this is one of our questions, uh, between hate and disassociation, right? Like I can, like, like I don't hate them, Right. Or I don't want to hate them. I don't, like, I don't even want to believe I hate them, but I also don't want to be around them. Right. So where's yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, again, I think that maybe that is a misunderstanding of what love is. Right. Because if we think love means that I have to do everything in my life with you and be around you all the time, sure. and I, you know, th- th- that's not what love is. What is love at its heart 
is love is seeking the good of the other person, right? And the reason sharing the gospel is the most loving thing we can do to somebody is because that's the greatest good that we can do for them is introducing them to Christ. And so sometimes the best thing we can do for someone is to not be around someone, yeah. right? Because we know that, you know, they're gas and we're a spark, you know, or that we know it's not loving because we have a, a personality that, man, it just rolls downhill, bad behaviors, <laughs> whatever. Sure, yeah. um, but I don't think that means you have to hate someone. I, I will tell you, uh, my dad uh, is, you know, a law enforcement guy. He, he was a cop forever, worked for the state attorney's office, the attorney general's office. Uh, and he had a very clear uh, proverb for, for this. He said, son, Jesus says that we have to love everybody, but that doesn't mean we got to go on vacation with them. Yeah. It's good. So, but I would say, and I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit with this next part of this question, but you said, I don't got to be around you all the time. And I think the heart behind this question is I got to be around them to share the gospel. Right. Yeah, sure. So how do we marry those tensions together? Because I don't want to be around them. It is toxic, yet I'm also called to take the gospel to them. What is that like? So uh, a couple of things. Number one, I think that we have to make sure that we are motivated by love for God primarily, for them secondarily, and then act in the way that does what's best for them. Now, you're right. The gospel sharing uh, that conversation, it requires proximity, right? Mm -hmm. We have to be around them. But I think the second thing is I would say let's look at the relationship of Jesus, right? Jesus often called out these people and met them on his terms more than he would go hang out at the at the bars or whatever, right? right. And, and we just read in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus went to this big party at Matthew's house, right? So do we believe that Jesus went to a mafia guy's party uh, and was just partying hard with all these sinners? Or do we read, yeah. that's right, or do we read, no, God called Matthew out, said, follow me. Matthew was following him, and then they threw this party for this purpose, right, to get him around the yeah. tax collectors and the sinners. And so I think that um, just because we have to be around people to share the gospel does not mean that we have to put ourselves in compromising situations to do that. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, second question I liked too, because I think one of the tensions we have here, you know, is, okay, I'm supposed to live on mission, but I don't feel ready for that, right? So how do we prepare ourselves to live on mission, right? Um, and we know Jesus needs to be in the center, but how do we, what are some tangible, practical ways in your mind to be able to prepare myself to live on mission? Yeah, I think... Number one, you can't share the gospel unless you know the gospel. That's good. Um, I think you just have to learn what the gospel is. Learn the pieces of the gospel. Um, look, you've, hear, you've heard me say this all series, because I think this is a huge part of spiritual formation. You've got to read. You've mm -hmm. got to read. You've got to listen to other people. You've got to put in the time to truly study. Not just a verse a day. That's a cool picture I'm going to post on Facebook so everybody knows I read my Bible. But no, I'm really going to... Uh, study. The second thing I would say is, if you want to be prepared for mission, begin to form your testimony. That's and good. your testimony can be formed in three parts. Who were you before Jesus? How'd you meet Jesus? What's your life been like since? Yeah. If you can share those three things in three minutes to 90 seconds, yeah. that is an effective tool for mission uh, to show, hey, look, I'm nothing special. I met Jesus. You can too, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing, though, it is, okay, that's the practical side of how I prepare for these conversations, but I also think we have to prepare our hearts to desire these conversations. Yeah, that's good. Right? Like, that's I good. think that we have to seek God's heart, and as we 
seek his heart, our heart for others will grow. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, I believe, that he knows a lot of his fellow Israelites are not in Christ. And he said, I wish that I could be cut off from Christ so that they might be brought in. So he wished he could give up his relationship with Jesus so that they could have that. Man, I ain't Mm. there. No, that's good. I ain't there, but that was his heart. Where did that come from? Because of his love for Jesus. And so I think that, you know, we ask, God, help me to love you and love others the way that you love them. I think you spend time with Jesus, you grow in love for Jesus, you're going to grow in love for others. Um, And then I think, you know, we've said this uh, around the office for a little while. I mean, Jesus specifically says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send workers into the harvest. Yeah. So maybe we say, hey, God, I know there's a harvest out there. Would you just raise up workers who can go and bring that harvest in? And it turns out when you ask God to send workers, he often taps you on the shoulder. Yeah. So I think think that's helpful. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I think it's clear. Um, The last question, and we'll kind of round it out right here. And I like this question. I like this question because this question assumes I have started living on mission. This question assumes I've attempted to move the ball down the field. And then this question assumes I've done all those things and it went miserably. (laughs) So... The question is, if I mess up on mission, what does that mean for the person I'm dealing with? I hear the heart of that question. Um, And so let me answer it very, like, bluntly, tongue-in-cheek, number one. Uh, It's like my pastor growing up said, look, man, if you drive somebody away, there's not a hell number two to send them to. So you're not really (laughs) driving them anywhere else. Um, But that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Let me me get a little more serious, a little more transparent. So I was pastoring at Airline Baptist Church in Mayo. Uh, I'd preached on Sunday morning and gave a gospel, you know, message. Uh, And back then, AJ, I know this is not something that we necessarily do at the Orchard, but back then, uh, man, after church, uh, while whoever was closing the service in prayer, the preacher walked down the aisle and stood at the back door to shake everybody's hand. Shake them, baby. You know, shaking hands, shaking hands. Um, And I had one guy come out, and he shook my hand. Um, and he said, man, I, I'd really like to talk with you more about that. I think I need to get saved, mm. right? And so um, what I said was, I would love to do that. Let's get together this week, right? I did that out of a pure heart. I, I wanted to not rush this conversation. AJ, you know how easy it is sometimes to rush conversations that we shouldn't rush because we have conversations like this all the time. Sometimes we forget that this is the most important conversation in this person's life. Yeah. And so I really just wanted to make sure I gave him the time and attention that I could because you know how it is after church. Everybody wants to see you, ask questions, shake your hand. Uh, and so I was really just trying to give it time. Uh, and he said, well, oh, okay, that's good. I've never seen that guy again. Mm. Like to this day, uh, man, 15 years later, I've mm. never seen him again. And I've got to tell you, that still haunts me. Sure. Even as I'm telling this now, it's like yeah, bothering me. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I think that I just have to trust that if this is God's mission, it wasn't my eloquence or passion that made him want to respond to the gospel, but it was the work of God, the Spirit, in his heart. Mm-hmm. And that if this is God's mission, and it's God who brought him to that point, then ultimately God's not going to be dependent on me to see this thing through. You see, when God invites me to participate in mission, it's not because he needs me. The scriptures say very clearly that if we're silent, the rocks will cry the rocks, out. Right? Yeah. Um, God invites me in mission not because he needs me, but for my good and my joy. Yeah. And I miss that opportunity. And so I think that when, when you feel like you've blown it in mission, specifically in dealing with a person, number one, just because you've blown it now doesn't mean you've blown it forever. Number two, 
God has factored your stupidity into his sovereignty. Amen. You know, I say that a lot. God has factored your stupidity into his sovereignty. And three, as much as you want to see that person come to faith in Christ, God wants to see it more. Yeah. And so trust in that, lean on that. And in my case, learn from that. Yeah. And just move on. Yeah, that's good. Man, that's really good. I, I rounded this our conversation here in Lake City out Sunday and and said this because I don't think it's dependent on us, but I think it's such a blessing to be able to get to be a part of those moments and told him like that's that those moments aren't for super Christians. Those moments are for us. Those moments are for us to step into and be a part of. And, and there's no cooler moment that you're going to get to experience than when you lead somebody to Jesus, whether that's your friend, whether that's somebody you don't know, whether that's your kids, whatever. Look, right. It is addicting. Yes, it is. And you know what the most powerful tool for mission that the church has is it's new Christians. Mm who are just getting their first taste of it. That's true. And I'm telling you, when you get your taste, it's time to go. Let's roll, baby. You get your taste. Speaking of taste, we're going to round out with one more. Well, I guess it doesn't really need a reminder because they won't hear this until post-harvest celebration. But speaking of taste, I'm going to, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll do this the next week. I'll give you guys an honest evaluation on how your desserts were at the Harvest Celebration. You have my word on that one. Is that I'm, the segment that we're going with that's next it, week? baby. The, the tastes of Harvest Celebration. I love it. We're getting excited to do that. Um, now, man, I love Harvest Celebration. I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's a good time. And I tell you, I said this in Brandford, so I want to say this on here. It's not just a time where I'm thankful for our church and thankful for all that God's done at our church, but for me, I'm specifically thankful for Pastor Eddie mm. and that 17 years ago, that guy stepped out of everything he knew about church, stepped out of his comfort zone. He and Miss Beth said, we're going to start this place called The Orchard. And now all of us are sitting here listening to this because yeah. of that step that he made. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, uh, good conversation. Excited to see kind of what next week holds with one more week of this before we take a break. But yeah, any concluding thoughts before we get out of here? I hope somebody brings banana pudding. Mm, you know, had several conversations about banana pudding today. So if it's got a G in it, you got to watch out. Don't want it. Don't want it. We'll catch you guys next week. Uh, please give us feedback. Shoot us some questions. Excited to keep this conversation going. All right. See you guys then.